Hello, everybody, and welcome to Two Guys and a Mic. I'm Jason. And I'm Dan. And today, well, actually, let's go ahead and do some uh, updates here before we get with uh, Pastor Sue Schneider. Um, go ahead, what do we have? Yeah, uh, we had scheduled June 10th for a special uh, show called uh, um, The Power of Prayer. Um, that show has been canceled. We have some uh, scheduling difficulties, and uh, um, we're going to be doing that show again next season. And our season starts in September, right? And but this will be the last show of this season. So and we have the lovely Pastor Sue Schneider with us. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm pretty good. This is the first time I've ever talked to a a, a lady pastor. I guess if we can call it. Oh, that. don't call me that. No, 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 <laughs> no. Just a pastor. It's fine. Just a pastor. Okay. Um, well, I, I, right. grew, I grew up Southern Baptist, okay? Um, ah, I'm an atheist right. now, but I, I grew up Southern Baptist, and women were not allowed to do that kind of thing. So that, that's why... I, I understand I, fully. That's, that's Okay. Um, Pastor Sue Schneider is from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to her for about 30 minutes, and then we're going to open up the phone lines. And if anybody has a question for Pastor Sue, you're, you're uh, able to uh, ask her straight on. Um, but first question for Pastor Sue is, you're a Lutheran pastor. What, do, what are the differences between being Lutheran, and being like, let's say, Catholic? Wow. Well, you know, that's a great place to start because the whole reason there's a Lutheran denomination is because Martin Luther, who was a German monk and a teacher of Old Testament in Germany in the 1500s, uh, was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church for leading what now we call the Protestant Reformation. Mm. So Luther, to the very day that he died, considered himself Catholic. He considered himself part of the only church. Um, but he was uh, kicked out of the Catholic Church, and his followers began to call themselves Lutheran. And he actually hated that. He said, Luther didn't die for you. Call yourselves Christians. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, I know. Um, and in practice, I think you'd find, well, there's a wide variety of different kinds of Lutheran churches. Um, there's... I'm a member of what we call the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is the largest Lutheran church body in the United States. There are two smaller ones that I know about, the Missouri Synod Church and the Wisconsin Synod Church. And they're both Lutheran churches, but with a very different flavor. All of us, I, I would say, trace our heritage back to Martin Luther. But um, there are different um, layers, I suppose, uh, to those different flavors of Lutheranism. The ELCA, of which I'm a part, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, is the only one of the three that ordains women. Um, so there's that difference. And I think probably right. there would be differences in our understandings of Holy Communion and in the ways that we read the Bible. Um, but our worship services would all at least moderately resemble a Roman Catholic Mass. As well as the same format and in fact, uses similar liturgies and things like that. Um, the things that would be different from us and Roman Catholics is that, well, one of the things Luther was unhappy about, in addition to the fact that um, he didn't like the fact that indulgences were being collected to build St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, mm -hmm. he was unhappy that at the time only priests could read the Bible because they knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew, and the common people couldn't. Uh, so he translated the Bible into the language of the people, German, um, and said, no, it's not just the pastors who have access to God. You do too. But then he also was um, distressed about the fact that he didn't believe there was an actual transformation of the substances of communion into body and blood of Christ. He was much more interested in Yes, something powerful is happening during this experience, but everybody should take communion, and it's it's a it's not a I don't even know what the word would be like a magical transformation. There's no change in the substance of these elements. Oh, it's like when this you're is, having it's like when you're having communion, and it turns into the actual body and blood of Christ. Is that what you're saying? Right. He would disagree on that point. Right. He would still say something important is happening in this in this moment, and it's still a, a sacrament in our church, but. Um, he would say, 
more uh, it's it's a it's a mystical thing and not a chemical change that happens. Right. Okay. So uh, is Martin so Luther is Martin Luther uh, considered a saint? You know, his one of his little uh, innovations in Catholic uh, Christian teaching was that he said everybody is simultaneously a saint and a sinner. Um, that we all have within us the capacity to be really, really good and godlike and really, really bad. Um, so he would say we're all simultaneously saints and sinners. We right. don't really have saints in the way the Catholic Church has saints, in that we don't say anyone in particular has has special access to God, but that we all do. So we don't pray, for example, to saints. Oh, okay. Now you had so, mentioned. Uh, I don't. You had mentioned earlier that. Uh, um, the the Lutherans kind of read the Bible uh, differently than the Catholic Church. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, um, one of Luther's one of my favorite teachings of Luther about the Bible is he said, "The Bible is the cradle of Christ, and not every part of the cradle touches the baby Jesus." And and for that reason, we hold, for example, the Gospels in a much higher esteem than, for example, the Book of Numbers. Um, we don't give equal weight to every part of the Bible. We give greater weight to the parts that touch the baby Jesus, as, as Luther would have put it. Okay. So in our worship services, when something is being read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we stand up, show special honor to that portion of the Bible, because those are the stories of Jesus. Whereas if we were reading a passage from, say, Leviticus, we wouldn't. And we, couldn't, we wouldn't put the same amount of weight on texts from Leviticus as we would one of the Gospels, if that makes sense. And yes. within the Lutheran Church, for example, my family is Missouri Synod Lutheran, which is one of the more conservative branches. But I am an ELCA pastor. Even within our Lutheran family, there's some divergence. Um, my mom and dad and the Missouri Synod in general would say much more that that the Bible is is literally the word of God. I would be much more inclined to say it's inspired by God, um, but that it was written by people who lived in their context and in their time. And, for example, I'm unwilling to say that there were really 40 days and 40 nights of rain when Noah was in the flood. I'm much more likely to say this is a story of faith from which we are to learn and grow, but it may not have factually happened historically just like this. That would, that would so basically, even within our family, there's different ways of understanding. That would really set you apart from a lot of churches. It's true. It would. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, I know that uh, a lot of Southern Baptists and a lot of uh, Protestants, they all believe that it literally happened. Um. A lot of people do. It's true. And there's a lot of folks who don't as well. Um, I think churches that would that would be um, faithful to the whole idea of a literal word of God and churches that believe that we need to take things in context and look at them historically and, and figuratively, literally, uh, I mean, literarily, I think there's probably a significant number of Protestant churches that read the Bible that way as well. But you're right, it would, be, it would certainly be a departure for many churches. Now, uh, it, it sounded like you've been Lutheran your whole life, correct? Growing up? My whole life, yep. Okay. Baptized at two weeks old. Oh, wow. So uh, do you uh, believe in baptism as an adult? I think baptism whenever. I'm all in favor of that. Um, the reason that the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church and Episcopals and maybe a couple of other folks baptize infants is the emphasis in our understanding that baptism is something that happens at God's initiative and humans respond rather than uh, some of the um, more evangelical churches that believe that it's human-inspired and God responds. So, for example, a baby can't say, I'd like to be baptized. The understanding is we baptize a baby because this is all God's idea anyway. The parents respond for the child and say, we want this child to grow up in the faith, and we promise to help groom this child in the faith. And then usually in many churches, there's something we call confirmation or affirmation of baptism. When at about 
13 or so, the individuals will then say, my mom and dad made promises for me when I was a baby, and I promise to continue in those, which is kind of like baptism in some other churches where they're taking on responsibility for their own faith development. But the idea still goes back to at baptism, we don't even know what to ask for, and yet God says, I name you and claim you as my own children, uh, whether or not you're willing to respond or, or even are aware, this is me taking action. Whereas at least what I know of the, um, for example, Southern Baptist Church, is that you have to come and say, I would like Jesus to come into my life. Uh, in the Lutheran tradition and, and some others, uh, it's much more God saying, I want you to be part of my family and the child is accepted in. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. yes. Now, let me ask. Okay, good. So that would be the understanding. Okay. Now, uh, we've, uh, of course, Jason and I, we're doing this series on religions of the world. So we've we've talked to a lot of pastors. Um, becoming, uh-huh. a, becoming a pastor, uh, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Um, it, you have to deal with your congregation and try to help them through different uh, circumstances. What made you decide to become a pastor? <laughs> you know, I it's a mystery, really. Um, because I grew up in a denomination that didn't allow women to be pastors, uh, it didn't occur to me um, when I was young. And, and maybe I felt a call earlier, but I wasn't aware of it because it just didn't seem possible. When I did actually de- decide to go to seminary and become ordained, I was already in my 30s and had already had a couple of careers. I'd been an English teacher and I had worked in public relations for a theater. Seminary was something other people kept suggesting to me, and I think that's one of the ways that God talks to people is through the words of people who love you and amen. care for you and know you. Amen to that. Do you that. know what I mean? Yes, amen yeah. to that. So other people had, had been suggesting that I should think about pursuing that and, and would say things like, well, you love being a chaperone on the youth group trips, and you have this Bible study that meets in your home, and... There just seemed to be so many indications that this is a good fit for you. We think you should explore it. But at that point, um, my sister had already been ordained as a Lutheran pastor. And I thought, well, that was her world and not my world. Uh, And I had a good talk with her. And she said, you know, sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. But I would say in the case of you, God is shouting. Uh, (laughs) And I took that as a good sign. (laughs) And I just called in sick to work one day. I went down to visit the Lutheran Seminary. Uh, at the time, I was living in Chicago. So I went to the Lutheran Seminary in Chicago just to sit in on classes and meet with the admissions people and find out what it would involve. And was com- convinced at that time that this was something I wanted to pursue, but I still didn't think I was going to be a pastor. I thought, okay, I'll go have the uh, theological education, and then I'll I'll write Christian plays or something like that. I didn't perceive of myself as a pastor. But then when I got to seminary and started the classes, um, I think it was my second semester, I took a preaching class and I thought, wow, I really love this. And people kept saying, well, you know, there's a job for that. (laughs) If you have a good (laughs) theological education and you like to preach, perhaps you should explore this. And in some ways, it is like a continuation of my career as a teacher. I still do a lot of teaching and I still, uh, you know, go through stories and try to discover the truth there and communicate the truth. So in some ways it's, it's not that different from being an English teacher or working in theater. On the other hand, you're right. It does involve a lot of different facets on different days. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, um, Maybe, maybe this is God speaking to you through me Um, because, because you're a, a pastor, the position you're in, and because of your uh, history working with uh, um, uh, theater, have you ever considered maybe producing a Christian movie? Um, I haven't thought about being a producer, but I've certainly thought about writing a script. I would love that. Um, I think in retirement, I'll I'll do some serious writing. (laughs) And I, I usually think in terms of theater, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't say... I couldn't do film. I just don't think in film as much as I do think in stage. Right. right. Well, uh, we might have to talk uh, after this show because <laughs> I've got some oh, connections. you got a show you're working on? Uh, well, actually, I, I was an executive producer for a Christian movie, and I, right now I'm a nationally registered cameraman. 
and uh, oh. yeah, we might we might have to talk. He, he's he's working on this play called the Barstool Musical. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I love the title. I love it already. <laughs> no, that ain't no, me. Um, as far as uh, uh, Lutheran churches are concerned, do you uh, get along with? Let's. I know there's a Evangelical Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. I think it just they just had a fire. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. There are probably many. I mean, we're in the Midwest, and this is Lutherland serious. Right. Um, but what I'm saying, many, many Lutheran churches. Right. But what, what I'm saying is, do you, do you agree with each other? There's no bickering or, or anything between churches, is there? No, I'm sure. I would say churches within the ELCA tend to um, come under one family umbrella, and so, like many families, there is some bickering amongst them. Right. Because I, I would say it's more dr- dramatic if you're comparing between the ELCA, for example, and the Missouri Synod or the ELCA right. and the Wisconsin Synod. Well, I'm talking about like doctrine. But, any any uh, any problems with doctrine? Like like if you want to know what's wrong with the First Baptist Church, you go to the Second Baptist Church, and they're going to tell oh. you exactly what's wrong. You know what I mean? Well, so, I think that, I think if you asked a Missouri Synod or Wisconsin Synod person what's wrong with having this particular Lutheran pastor on your show, they'd come up with a number of good reasons why you shouldn't be talking to a woman who claims to be ordained because they don't ordain women. So there would be that family difference in the Lutheran Church. Uh, But within the ELCA, you'd even find splits there, too. The marvelous thing about being Lutheran is that it allows for a wide variety of questions and a a wide variety of interpretation. Um, So you wouldn't find as much, but of course you would find somebody who would say something nasty. Right. I've noticed that uh, the Lutherans are a little more liberal when it comes to certain things. Like you said, having... um, uh, pastors who are women and um uh-huh. what's that uh, also i i noticed on your on your website uh actually i think i saw an article also about you with the lgbt in i believe it was seattle washington um Is it's that... not it's actually in minneapolis minneapolis yes, um, i'm sorry one of one of my um it's not a a job that I have specifically to the church, but it is a church job in my mind, is right. every summer I'm a camp counselor for a, a camp for teenagers who are LGBTQ. Right. Um, but what, it's a Bible camp, for, but but you'd be correct that there would definitely be churches that would say uh, that's, that's not consistent with Scripture. And I, of course, would disagree. Well, of course, of course, it's very consistent. They, 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 they use the same old arguments. They say, you know, well, in the book of Leviticus, it says, you know, right. I, I know, I know mm-hmm. about the book of Leviticus. There's other things in there that they cherry pick. They they said we don't want this, but we'll I take know. this and this and this. So it, it's, I know. I know, it's, I know, they're not progressing with the but times. Yes, you would definitely find people who would disagree on that subject, even within the ELCA. Although as a national church body, we voted in 2009 to bless same-sex marriages in our churches and to allow same-sex partnered people to be pastors, there's sort of an overarching embrace of this um, concept. Uh But within the churches, you'd still find people who are resistant to that. You still would find congregations that would be uncomfortable if they were to interview somebody. Well, because LGBT for their pastor, they're used to the traditional ways. That's why. Correct. And Correct. and also too, being a pastor, you have to love everyone. I mean, that's that's what God requires from you. That it's not the sin that you have to love; it's the sinner themselves you have to love. Oh, it, see, I, I don't even buy that. I don't think they're sinning. I don't think so. I think love is from God too. I I and totally agree with you. The person you love. Yeah, so I don't think that's, it's not love the sin, and I mean love the sinner and hate the sin. It's just plain out love everybody, plus I have to love all my other sinners, and so does every Christian. That's not restricted to pastors. We have to love each other for the people who gossip and for the people who are drug addicts and for the people who are, you know, cruel to their children. We have to love them all, and that's, that's true across the board. Um, you had mentioned earlier that uh, in the Midwest, there's a lot of Lutheran, the, the Lutheran denomination around. Um, where exactly was uh, Martin Luther from? Do you do you know? He was he was from Germany, mm-hmm. it, and so there were there are still many German Lutherans, and because the Midwest was largely settled by Germans and Norwegians and Swedes, 
that whole northern European part of the world very much present here in the Midwest. Uh, yeah, that would explain that. But Luther was German. Okay. Okay. Oh, excellent. So, so uh, one, one thing to get back on is the baptism. You're talking about baptism. Uh, do you uh, uh-huh. do you sprinkle them like the Catholics, or do you do a full submersion, try and drown them? Well, it's yeah. a baby. You don't want to I drown them. Think, <laughs> I think different congregations have different sized fonts and different practices. I mean, I certainly know people who have been baptized in rivers, but most of us would say a sprinkling is enough. Uh, it, if your context allows for you to have a giant baptized pool, that'd be great. Uh-huh. But uh, a little water's enough. Um, so m- just because of architecture, I think most of us have smaller fonts. Right. And because we're usually baptizing babies, which doesn't rule out the possibility of grown-ups. Huh. Um, and if I lived in San Diego and had a beach at my disposal, I suspect we would do baptisms <laughs> out there. But I don't. So right. in Wisconsin, when it's freezing half the year, we go indoors and exactly. use a font. Uh, now, now, you were saying about Martin Luther... Uh, I want to make sure okay. I have. I want to make sure I have this correct. Um, okay. Martin Luther was was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was trying to get away from the Catholic ways, or was he just trying to change it up a little bit? And the reason why I'm asking this well, is because he, the reason why yeah. I'm asking this is because uh, I've seen pictures of you, and you have a collar, the Holy Orders. Yes. Uh, and I know yes. I know Catholics wear those. So I mean, is he? I thought that, I thought he was trying to get away from the Catholic uh, religion. Well, he had he had certain peeves with the Catholic Church, but he didn't want to break from the Catholic Church. I mean, he would refer to himself as a reformer, a protestant, a one who protests. Right. But he didn't want to leave. He had to get kicked out. The things he was unhappy about, he nailed a list of ninety-five of them to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Right. Um, as topics of discussion. Most of what he was unhappy about was that he felt like the church was taking advantage of poor people um, by telling them that they could buy forgiveness for their sins or for forgiveness for the sins of their relatives who had died, and that they could alleviate time in purgatory if they would just pay X amount of dollars. And he hated that. He thought that was an abuse of the people, an abuse of Scripture, and and really an abuse of God. How dare you say that, that forgiveness is for sale? No, forgiveness is free. Grace is free. So he was unhappy with the indulgence business, and that's one of the reasons he translated the Bible into German, the language of the people. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to be able to read for themselves that grace is free, and it shows up there. Okay. And he was unhappy with, um, for example, the practice of priests not being able to marry. He himself married a woman who escaped from a convent because she and several of her Roman Catholic nun sisters all heard the teachings of Luther and said, and, and heard him say, every, every vocation is a godly vocation, not just nuns and monks, but shoemakers and bakers and all, the, all people do the work of God in their lives. That's all vocation, and there's no reason you can't live with a family and have a husband and children and all that if you want to. Right. So a group of nuns escaped from a convent, and he married one of them. So he, the <laughs> former priest, and she, the former nun, ended up having a ton of children uh, and and really did a lot to promote the idea right. of Christian family. So, I mean, there were things about the Catholic Church that he very much wanted to change. Right. But he was still pretty heartbroken that that his followers had to become their own church. So, so, so there's, no, there's no nuns in the Lutheran Church? No, none. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to remind all our listeners that uh, in about five minutes, we're going to open up the phone lines. You can call 720-835-5330. Our pin number, pin number is 05800. If you'd like to ask Pastor uh, Sue Schneider from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a question. Um, one last time, the phone number is 720-835-5330. Pin number is 05800. Pastor Sue, um, do you uh, ever have the opportunity, like let's say going to conventions of maybe different religions, and when they find out that you're a pastor, do you ever get like any shunning or (laughs) it happens in this world? (laughs) Um, 
Oh, it does. Um, and it happens less now than it really used to. Um, fortunately, okay. there are more and more women in more and more denominations. But for sure, yeah. Oh, I have definitely had people tell me I, I can't possibly be a pastor because I'm a woman and that's forbidden. And I just want to remind them all, like, who did Jesus send out as the first d- messengers about the resurrection? It was women in all of the Gospels. Right, when right. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well and says, go tell everybody what you've seen and heard. She's a woman preacher. I mean, it's scriptural all over the place. Correct. So um, I, I, was, I, I want to, um, just for the record, say there's nothing unbiblical about my work. But I certainly do have to be an educator about that on a regular basis. Oh, right, right. Um, I <laughs> bet you your, your mom and dad have got to be proud because uh, they have two daughters that are pastors. Did, did you have any brothers that maybe uh, went on? Or? I, have a, I have a brother who's a high school counselor. He's the only one who's the proper gender and just did not follow the rules. <laughs> um, well, this. Uh... I, I think it was a journey for my dad in particular to come to acceptance because, as I told you, he's a little more conservative on the on the biblical interpretation, and I think my sister, who went through ordination first, had to have some really hard conversations with him. Mine have been a little easier, but I wouldn't say easy. Uh, but yes, we are now in a place I feel like where they they're very clear about the fact that they perceive us as messengers of God. Uh, but it did not come easily. Okay. Now, uh, this show is being broadcast worldwide right now, and we we usually have a gentleman on the show. Um, he goes by the name of The Unreluctant. He asks, He's from the U.K. He asks a question huh? usually to all our pastors. He's not on right now, which is kind of surprising to us. Um, one, of the, uh-huh. one of the questions he always asks each pastor is, when was hell created? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, how would I know? Um, <laughs> also, I <laughs> I feel like I should also say I'm not 100% convinced that there is a place called hell or a place called heaven. I I don't know that they're geographic. I think it's much more the idea of hell is the absence of God, or at least the perceived absence of God, and the heaven is the presence of God. Right. So if there's a hell, it's something that that has always been when people feel like they're separated from God, even if I don't believe it's possible for anyone to be separated from God. Even Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? To me, that would be hell. Right. Um, and I think most people in their lives can point to a time when they experienced hell or thought they did. Okay. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea if there's an actual place, when was it founded? Not a clue. It's not called marriage. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think when God created marriage, that's when hell got created. <laughs> oh, we've had. Well, we, I, we, I have been married in the past and would have agreed with you during those marriages. <laughs> However, I'm super duper happily married now, so that's good. I now don't agree with you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know there's a lot of uh, denominations that have, that have different versions of hell. Uh, I know the Protestants, uh-huh. and the, of course the Baptists. It's it's fire and brimstone and all that all that jazz. Uh, and yeah. and then of course you have the flying spaghetti monsters who say that uh, there's beer volcanoes and uh, stripper factories. But hell is uh, the same thing. Only the beer is stale and the strippers have STDs. So I don't know. It's oh, yeah, everybody. Everybody that has. Every, yeah, that's, that, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> uh-huh. Especially the stale beer part. Well, we're gonna open. Yeah. We're gonna open open up the phone lines now. Seven two zero eight three five five three three zero. Our pin number is zero five eight hundred. If you have a question for Pastor Sue Schneider from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin, now's the time to call seven two zero eight three five five three three zero. Pin number zero five eight hundred. Pastor Sue, um, what version of the Bible do you use? Oh gosh, we probably have a dozen different translations in our church library. Personally, I use the New Revised Standard Version just because my Greek professor told me it's 
as close a translation as possible to the original. And okay. because my own Greek is fairly feeble, I'm willing to trust him on that. <laughs> um, but any any version is acceptable. I just find that one, at least as I, with my limited amount of Greek, I can say it seems very, very accurate. And with professors who tell me that the Greek is closer to that than any other, but uh, whatever, whatever Bible you right. have is perfectly fine. M many would disagree and say it's the good old King James version. <clears throat> well, I, I don't know if you know, I know. <laughs> if you have any uh, um, have had any contact in the past with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have the New World translation, and um, we had done some research on that. And uh, uh, Hort and Ashcroft, I think it was Hort and Ashcroft. Um, it was a it was a version from those two gentlemen had uh, translated the Bible, and and it was a known fact that Hort and uh, oh I Ashcroft. I don't think it's Ashcroft, but um, they were actually. I have no idea. So they, carry those, on. Let's just say those two guys. Those two guys had satanic. <laughs> those two guys. They had satanic ties. So stay away from that version. Oh, come on, you know, I've I've heard I've heard I've heard that all over the place. I've heard that you know these people are satanic. I've heard the Pope is satanic, or he's the. No, the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon and all this other stuff. Nobody, oh, yeah. nobody knows. I mean, come on, they just. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, you know, they're throwing stuff in the air. They're just trying to get you to go get to, go to their uh, denomination. That's well, all they're and, doing. And the truth is that every translator is also an interpreter of Scripture, especially with the Hebrew Bible, because there were no vowels. You know, it's all consonants. So right. as people are attempting to translate what they see they're also putting their own spin on what they think it should say so and we don't have any complete versions of the early bible right. we have little scraps that people have tried to patch together and done their very best but we don't really know uh what it actually said in certain places well, think, we're doing the best we can and the thing is uh after you know the bible was written what the king james was written in 1400 and something and just recently they found the rest of the dead sea scrolls so, right. So I think we're still unpacking that. Sure. Right. And there's books that didn't make it into the final cut, you know. Correct. Correct. So it, it, who it knows was, what kind of biases were going on there? It was all done by a committee is what it was. You know, Indeed. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you do the... So, I mean, I think the translation is always just going to be our best guess anyway. And I'm going to go with the people who know the Greek better than I do and say this is closer to, to, the, to the structure that we know of. Okay. And I'm I'm perfectly prepared to say that there might be parts of it that are completely wrong. And and that is human error, but I still got, think God can work through human error, so it's fine. Right. Of course, you would get that one person that would look at you and go, blasphemy! <laughs> I know. I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, me. Pastor Sue. I'm with you. I'm in the flesh. I, I am with you. I, I, I am agreeing to everything <laughs> you're saying. No, we had... Uh, oh, good. And this is the atheist talking. So... I know. Oh. I know. I feel. I feel you too. Believe me. I understand where you're coming from. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Elder Bob Corshane on the show from uh, um, what what was a uh, Apostolic Pentecostal. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and we had talked about the uh, Holy Spirit and the gifts of tongues and uh, interpretation. Uh, what is the Lutheran take on that? Um, you know, I don't think there is an official Lutheran take on it. I would say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as described in, I think it's Galatians, are patience and love and joy. Those fruits of the Holy Spirit, I think, uh, don't require any special language. Everybody can use those gifts. There are, of course, biblically, it talks about people speaking in tongues, languages that they don't know, that sort of thing. I have no experience of that, but I can't tell you that it doesn't happen. Uh, it's not something that's talked about a whole lot. I think it's if it if it does occur, it's maybe less to be sought after than, for example, the gift of forgiveness. I think there are certain gifts that carry more weight, and if that does happen among Lutheran people, I suspect it's done more personally as a prayer mode than it would be a public thing. Okay, so I know there are churches where they speak in tongues in church, but we are not among that crowd. 
You, do you, uh, does your church do uh, any laying of hands on for uh, healings? And Yes, but I want to be very clear that what I perceive happening in those worship services is that we're praying for healing and that may not be curing. Do you know what I mean? Um, for example, I, I often pray for healing for people who have terminal illnesses. I'm not expecting them to be cured. I'm not expecting them to throw down their crutches and walk out. What healing might involve is something like coming to peace with the fact that you're dying soon or coming to some sort of acknowledgement that you need to reconcile with your family or whatever it would be. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the disease will go away. So, yes, I lay hands on people and pray with them, but more like a spiritual healing worker, more like a spiritual healing or cleansing. Yes. Okay. I, yes. I've, I've, if God chooses to heal them, uh, cure them, great. But, but I don't think that's always how it works out. I've always asked the other pastors that I've talked to about healing amputees, and of course, I always tell them, you know, mm. God's all powerful; He's all knowing; He should be able to heal amputees. And I always get the runaround. They always try to dodge the question. And one thing I like about you, Pastor Sue, is that you say, "Well, we don't know, but we're going to find <laughs> out." You know what I mean? Well, here's what I would say about that. If you, for example, were to present yourself in my congregation at one of our healing services and you were a double amputee, what I would pray for for you is that God would be with you in your suffering, that, that you would know that you are understood and known and loved and that God has, has opportunities for you to serve and have a meaningful life and all of that even if you don't have your two legs or your two arms or whatever it might be, that God, that you would know you're loved and that you would know you're important. That's what I would pray for, for you. I would not anticipate that you would grow two new limbs, but I would anticipate that God could bring you a sense of well-being and belonging uh, in the midst of your physical disability. Well, you know, in some, That's in, what I would pray. In, in some churches, they can, they can try and do it for the right price. Just ask, just oh, ask Peter. Yes, you, oh, we're back to where Luther is unhappy about charging for faith. Ask, ask Peter Popper, pop off or, or <laughs> those other guys. <laughs> uh, I, just, I don't know Peter pop off. Oh, neither do I. But I know that oh. uh, he's been having some controversy going on. He's saying he was getting the the word of God through his, you know, into his head, trying to find these people to heal, and it turns out that it was his wife on the other side with a wireless. Uh, ear monitor so oh my goodness you don't have to look very far to find people to heal i don't know anyone who's not feeling broken in some way we'll see a lot of these i mean perhaps we'll see a lot of these guys perhaps there are people who have a physical disability but golly i mean the whole world needs a little healing a little forgiveness a little hope a little encouragement right but a, lot, a lot of these guys are getting these let's say these old ladies and 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 people that are on medication Mm -hmm. They're getting them to throw mm-hmm. down their throw down their medications, and it's it's, it's killing them. I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That flat out abuse of the Bible, flat out abuse of your faith. That is um, shame on them. Is what I have to say about that. Right. Um, I want to remind our listeners: now's the time to call seven two zero eight three five five three three zero. Pin number zero five eight hundred. If you have a question for Pastor Sue Schneider from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Pastor Sue, do you have a, uh, um, a ministry that maybe people can help uh, tithe to? Wow, yeah, um, sure. Two actually uh, come to mind. One is that, uh, of, of course, Trinity Lutheran Church, which you can find our website at TLC, like Trinity Lutheran Church, MSN Madison, so TLCMSN.org. Always happy to take uh, special funds, and you can designate them as you wish or put them in the general fund. Great. The other one that I do want to pitch is the Naming Project, which is the camp that I work with every summer for LGBT teens. Uh, It's a marvelous place, and it's called the Naming Project because – Probably any LGBT person could tell you this. They're called many names in their lives. We want to make sure that one name that they hear over and over and over again is beloved child of God. So we um, provide scholarships, and people come from all over the country 
and that of course takes money and all right. of the staff are volunteer but there's things expenses for that ministry as well so the namingproject.org all one word the namingproject.org right. would be another ministry that I would encourage and if you know any teens you have to have finished ninth grade and be no more than a senior in high school um, and you have to be out to at least one parent because somebody has to sign your consent forms um, those are the only criteria but by all means, tell one way to save people's lives, I think, is to tell these LGBT teens that they matter, that they're created in God's image, and that they're good. And this camp tries to do that for us. Okay. So those are two ministries that I ad advocate for. It's really hard for uh, people who are LGBT to, to come out. I mean, especially the ones that, that have uh, parents that go to church. Because that's yeah, that is just nerve wracking. I mean, it's it's torture. Just well, yeah, and that's 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 a shame for the church. That is one of the things for which we will have to repent for a long time. Is how many people we have hurt, um, both overtly and and inadvertently, because of the ways that we've excluded them or made them feel like less than. Uh, Jesus never, never turned away anybody, and the church has way too much. So that's a, a sin for which we need to continually be repenting. Well, the thing is, I don't remember. I've, I've read the New Testament. I don't, I don't see Jesus talking about homosexuality at all. It was just, he doesn't, not it was once. just the, 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 the God of the New Testament who was – oh, actually, it wasn't – Well, um, you know – Paul certainly had some things to say about it, and the Old Testament certainly had some things to say about it. But I, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to me that we understand the historical context of the scriptures. For one thing, in the first century, they had no concept of things like hormones or genes or chemistry, well, and those are all parts of sexuality, right? Oh yes, right. So when, when Paul writes things like women were with one another unnaturally— well, they didn't know what nature was consistent of. Now I would say it's unnatural for a lesbian to be in a relationship with a man because that's not natural to her her makeup, you know? Right. Um, but at the time, Paul was writing about what he understood of nature and what he understood was purely procreation. So, I mean, if, if we're going to say that homosexuality is bad because Paul said it was, Paul also kind of said you should get married for, solely for the sake of procreating children, and so what are you going to say to people like me who don't have any kids? And this is a sin? No. I don't, so, um, I, yes, I think the Bible does say some nasty things about homosexuality. And I think it's locked in its time in that respect. Along with don't eat shellfish and, and don't, don't mix, shave your beard. Don't mix fabrics and all that. Right, right. No tattoos. No t yes, no tattoos. All so all those people that have the, the, the cross on their tattooed to their body, that's, that's, that's not good. <laughs> Well, if if you're going to follow the Bible literally, you're going to have to give up your tattoos and your shellfish. Right. If you're going to give up, you know, it just, it's impractical. You can't do it. You can't live literally. There's too much contradiction within the scriptures. Right. And the thing is, uh, what... Uh, and that's why I give special weight to the Jesus stuff. And what I've told a lot of the other pastors before is, is, the, is the reason why I think a lot of people become atheists is because of what they see in the church. Um, when you have these pastors condoning, when you have these pastors uh, saying that homosexuality is wrong, and then next week you see them uh -huh. in a hotel with a gay hooker snorting meth uh, and getting a massage, it just it turns them off. It I turns know. them it's, off. And of course, a yeah, lot of the... It turns me off, to tell you the truth. A lot of the child molestation that's going on out there and in, in, in the church. Uh -huh. And, and it's, the thing is, it's not just the Catholics. I mean, the Catholics are getting no, most, no, most of the not. they're getting most of the press, but it's it's the Baptists and the and the Protestants. We all have it. Yes. I mean, it's a it's a predicament of our society. It is not a specifically Catholic problem. Unfortunately, it is pretty widespread, and so anything that the church can do to be to talk about healthy sexuality, I mean, we just have to. It, the more repressed people are, the more unpleasantly sexuality expresses itself well, kid, um, well kids are so, curious kids are curious if you if you if, if sure. you try and, re and 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 repress them from that 
they're going to get curious yes. and they're going to want to know exactly what it's about. So exactly. Have you Plus, they'll rebel against whatever they've been told they can't do. Yes, exactly. But I just really I want to come circle back to that whole question of um, pastors telling people that they can and can't do this, can and can't do that. We're doing the best we can with what we've got to work with, but we don't know what God's design is in the big scheme of things. We're doing the the very best that we understand, but when churches deliberately hurt and exclude people, if I'm going to make mistakes, I want to make mistakes in favor of grace. I don't want to make mistakes in favor of judgment and cruelty. Mm -hmm. Um, God will forgive me for those things I've done wrong when I tried to be loving and wasn't. Uh, So that's the way I want to err anytime I err. Uh, I am very frustrated with how Christianity is portrayed, but it's because the people who get all the press are the ones who are so unkind and so unwilling to express love. Uh, it's hard for me to grasp how, the, how we're reading the same scriptures, where the primary law, according to Jesus, is love God and love your neighbor. And those aren't the people who get the press. The people who get the press are the people who say horrible things and do horrible things. Like the, uh, it's like it's the West, distressing. It makes my job harder. Like the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> exactly right. Which is losing some of its clout now, I think, yes. since Fred Phelps died. Actually, a lot of the family members that were, uh, uh, yes, Phelps' family, they're all starting to split off. So. Yeah, I, and I think that's healthy and good. But unfortunately, he's not the only one who twists Scripture to make it manipulative and horrible. Lots a lot of, of them people did do it. cruel uh, things in the name of Jesus. Right. Guys named, uh, one guy named Jason Cooley, he's in uh, Northfield, Minnesota. You, of course, I'm sure you're familiar with Lester Roloff. No, uh-huh. you are familiar with Lester Roloff. Uh, well, not personally. Not personally. <laughs> I, but, I, but you've heard I of it. I try really hard. Yeah, I try really hard not to say unkind things about specific people. But I can say that I really, truly believe that when we speak publicly as pastors, we have to speak about love and God's love and let God do the other stuff, the judging. Right. That's not for me. Yeah, we're not to judge. Uh, let me ask you this, Pastor. Um, have you had the opportunity then to uh, perform maybe a, um, a marriage cer- ceremony for uh, oh, LGBT? Lots or? of them. Oh, okay. Yep. Lots of them. Mm-hmm. Do you do you get any? Uh, it's uh, always a joy. You you do you get any bad feedback because of that? Not from not from anybody who really matters. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> yes, I do get negative feedback, but um, I get much more positive feedback. And generally speaking, I'm fortunate that Trinity Lutheran Church is the kind of place that really does embrace the neighborhood, the people who come there. Uh, it really is the kind of place where we want love to be the final word, yes to be the final word. And so as a general rule, my congregation is super duper supportive. And when people are nasty to me, they're frequently not members of my congregation. So I can get over it. I'm tough. <laughs> That's good. I was told when I was starting seminary that uh, female pastors have to have hearts of gold and backbones of steel. And I think I have definitely developed much more of a steel backbone in my 16 years as a pastor. Wow, 16 years. Getting stronger by the minute. Well, Mm -hmm. congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, But I I definitely feel you, Jason, on the, on the, being turned off by church because of what you see going on in the world with pastors misbehaving and Christians in general misbehaving. I am so on your page. I, if I, Christianity was what I read about, I'd be an atheist too. Right. But I, mean, I think well, there's more. Where I came from, I'm originally from Corpus Christi, Texas, and that, and I went to Lester Roloff's church. Um, uh-huh. And, of course, I went to his, he had a, a school there. And his little compound, uh-huh. I called it a compound. It wasn't a, he called it the farm, but I call it a compound. But um, a lot of things happened. Uh, he died in a plane crash. Uh, Wiley Cameron died in a fire. And, of course, a lot of the people, I've, I've tried to get a hold of some of the people that I knew there. 
a lot of them are atheists. I think two of them mm -hmm. are, in, are in prison for child molestation. I mean, it's just so oh, many, yeah. so many bad things have come out of that. Um, <laughs> so I know. I'm so sorry. It, it ruins lives. That's... Well, yes. of course, he was more of a fire and brimstone type preacher. You know, you're supposed to fear God. Well, I mean, we fear him with. I don't know. It's, it's not one of those where he doesn't preach the love of God. He preaches God's wrath, and that's all he ever all he ever spoke about. If you don't if you don't follow the word, you're going to go to hell. And it's, you know he 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 right. ran he ran the church through fear is what he did, not love. And if that was what God was about, and if that were what the church was about, I would be an atheist too. But I believe there's more. I really do. I don't believe that that fear and and cruelty are the are the way of the Jesus that I know about. I, I simply think there's that's that's just heresy, and I don't use that word easily, but right. that's what that is. Well, you know, Pastor Sue. I mean, if we talk a couple mm. more times, if we talk a couple more times, a couple more shows, you could probably turn me into a Lutheran. I'm really, I'm really enjoying. I don't have that kind of power, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. That's totally fine with me. I really don't believe that I have that kind of control, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit sneaks in on you and bestows faith as a gift. So if you're interested in asking questions, that's my kind of thing. I, that's my favorite thing about being Lutheran, I would say, is that we're constantly invited to ask questions and and we're constantly reminded that that we're we're um, conundrums. We're we're mixed bags. We're perfectly saint and sinner. Uh, one of my favorite lines from Luther is, "We are perfectly free, subject to none, and we are perfectly saved, subject to all. We're both um, absolutely free to do whatever we want, and we are absolutely committed to doing the best we can for others." Uh, it, we live in that paradox, and uh -huh. Lutherans, more than many, I think, invite paradox and invite invite the possibility that there's more than one way to understand something. Hmm. At least, uh, certainly, why I'm Lutheran. Right. Okay. Well, we got roughly seven minutes left on the show. Yeah, uh, your last oh, chance. Yeah. Last chance for anyone to call in seven two zero eight three five five three three zero. Pin number zero five eight hundred. You'd like to ask Pastor Sue Schneider from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a question. Pastor Sue, if you can uh, talk one more time about the naming project, if you can tell us uh, uh -huh. tell us about it again. I love it so much. Um, about golly, it must be about a dozen years ago now. Three Christian gay men in Minneapolis talked about how much they loved going to camp when they were kids. How much they loved canoeing and s'mores over the campfires and all that stuff, but how how they had to be very secretive about the fact that they were gay when they were growing up because at Bible camp you couldn't be gay. And they thought, wouldn't it be fun to have both a Christian um, atmosphere and a camp atmosphere where you could be perfectly openly yourself in all aspects, including in your sexuality? So they started this camp, and I think the the very first year they did camp Somebody made a documentary about it called Camp Out, which you can still rent, um, I presume, or maybe find on Netflix. But mm -hmm. they had like eight campers or something the first time. Uh, now we have around 20 campers every summer, um, and there are volunteer um, – uh, what do we call these people? Counselors. That's what we call these people. Um, <laughs> and we do all the campy stuff. We do. We have canoe rides and craft time and – s'mores over the fire and all of that and we spend a great deal of time talking about the bible and talking about sexuality and reminding these kids over and over and over that god made them to be who they are and god loves them as they are um we have every year uh one of our counselors is a professional dancer and he teaches the kids yoga in the mornings and then they do a, a flash mob dance for the camp staff at the end of the week and I think one of the great gifts of the naming project is that it reminds kids to be in their bodies and to, to care for their bodies and love their bodies. So I, I love watching them dance. I think that says so much about embracing who they are. And teenagers hate their bodies anyway, no matter what. 
But right. it's really nice to have someone reiterating again and again, you are just fine. You are just fine. Right. God loves you as you are, where you are, in the mess that you think you're in. Um, and it's good for me as a counselor. I love the people who come to camp. And I think it's a really important ministry of the church because, like I said, I, I think the church has a special responsibility to say out loud and, and proudly God loves you and, and you belong you belong in God's family because the church has done so much damage to so many people by saying exactly the opposite. I personally so I we have pers- an obligation. I personally believe that they're born that way. I do too. Okay, and how um, how can they get more information on the naming project and how they can get a hold the of you? Naming project dot org. Yep. The naming project dot org is the campsite a camp website and you can either register for camp there or donate funds there or whatever else you feel compelled to do for the naming project there. Um, and if you'd like to just respond to me personally, uh, the website at Trinity Lutheran church is TLC dot org. And, and that's Trinity Lutheran church in Madison. And I am happy to discuss any of this, anything really with with anybody i'm not good at sports really but you could ask me about other stuff (laughs) i really enjoy people and it's why i love my job because i literally get paid to talk to people and listen to people and ponder their big and and important moments with them it's great fun that's good um and should have been a therapist well in a way in a way you are sometimes yeah i feel like i am I do a little bit of counseling with people, but I also usually refer them to professional counselors when I feel like I'm out of my depth mm-hmm. because, I mean, I have a few gifts, but I'm I'm not professionally trained as a counselor, and there are professionally trained counselors who are servants of God in that particular capacity, so why not? <laughs> there you go. Again, everybody's got, everybody's got a ministry. They just don't all call themselves pastor. And also, we want to remind the listeners uh, to subscribe to uh, our uh, channel, Two Guys in a Mic Podcast. And if you have any questions or you you would like to speak to one of our uh, guests, we can get a message to them. So uh, subscribe. Does, does, does Trinity Lutheran Church have a uh, YouTube page where they can see your sermons or anything like that? Um. You can read my sermons on our website okay. under the archives. You can read as far back as like 2011 if you just get really, really bored one day and want to read them all. <laughs> and we used to have a few recordings, so a few of them might have podcasts, but I, I don't know that we've been terribly consistent with the podcast part. Oh. But we don't have a YouTube page. I'm sorry. See, so you that need a cameraman. Yeah. You need a cameraman. <laughs> You're back to that, aren't you? Or even even then, <laughs> okay. even then, you could just put a set a camera on a on a camera stand, just leave it there, and have it facing the pulpit. All right, consultants, I mean, I'll take it under advice. You would you'd get a lot of uh, more viewers if you put up your sermons on YouTube. I've seen a lot of pastors that do that, and they're getting thousands of views and. People are yeah. Coming to the church well, and, you know that that's this generation nowadays. Yes. Everything's visual. Yes. Everything's visual. You're right. You're right. It's so funny. Our building is very traditional with the gorgeous stained glass windows. But the more I think about it, the more contemporary that seems that we're telling Bible stories with pictures. Uh, even though the idea of stained glass is so very old, it still does a lot of the same work as videos. Uh, it's teaching with pictures. Right. It's marvelous. That's right. All right. Yeah. If you want to talk to her about the camera afterwards, whatever. Yeah, well, hey, no, she, she, you, you got my information. You got my phone number. If you, I do. If you ever uh, decide to go to that route, you know, I want you to call me because um, I can set you up with a lot of professional people that can help you produce a well, movie. Thank you. I'll... Even if it's a commercial. Probably not till I retire. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, you're never going to retire, Pastor. Yeah, you, you can't retire as no? a pastor. No. That that never happens. No. No, Jesus never oh. retired. Jesus never retired. Oh, speaking of no, that, he died at thirty-three. Right. I wanted. I wanted to ask you one more thing. Yeah. Uh, I I talked to, to Corshane about it, and he kind of got. I think he got a little offended, but I asked him. I said. Uh, I said, 
you know, they, they talk about, in the Bible, they talk about Jesus' life. From when he was uh -huh. born to age 12. And then after that, it's blank until age 30. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And nobody seems to know what he did in that time. Now, of course, pe people say that Jesus did no sin. But, of course, there's all that time right there. He could have done something wrong. But we'll never Who know. Knows? We'll never know. And we... Uh, no, and frankly, it has never really worried me. Does it worry you? <laughs> well, <laughs> just always the reason why it doesn't worry me, but, I mean, people say, well, Jesus was perfect. Well, how do you know? There's only fragments of his life in the Bible. Now, if it was, you know, from, right. his, from his birth all the way to his death, it's a different story. Right, right. Well, I, I guess I trust that the parts of his life that we do know about are instructive and helpful and meant to teach us and the parts we don't well that's too bad I guess. Yeah, there's a, there's, uh, like I said there's an 18-year gap there and nobody seems yeah, to know, I know what happened so when people say right. that he was perfect it, it's they don't know to the best of our knowledge in, in in the amount of knowledge that we have that's what we know but uh, I, I just I guess I trust that what we have is enough to sustain my faith and what isn't there, right. I will save up to ask Jesus about it at the Last Supper or the grand finale, whatever that turns out to be. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up here, Pastor Sue. Um, we want to thank you for mm. being our guest today. Pastor Sue Schneider from Trinity Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Don't forget the namingproject.org. We'll have it on the bottom of the description. Right. If they want to donate to it. Thank um, you. Yep. This will be our last show of this season. We're going to be back in September. Um, Pastor Sue, um, we'll probably invite you back because uh, we have a special show we'd like you to be a part of. Well, thanks. This was really fun. Maybe we could. Uh, I would. I would like to do a show on actually the naming project. If you know anybody who oh, that'd be awesome. Who wants to come on and talk about their oh, yes. experience with it? That would be wonderful. Yes, that would yes. be a good show. So uh, I would love that. Let's stay in contact, Pastor Sue, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, God bless you, and you have yourself a wonderful summer. Uh, have a great, great time at camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and bless you as well. Thank you very much. Keep on learning. Keep on asking questions. I love it. Oh, I will. And you stay in contact oh, with us, okay? <laughs> well, thank you very much. All right. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was awesome. That was a very good show. Yes. Um, a lot of, lot of good points that were you know, controversial. She brought up, and uh, she 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 did a really good job. A lot of people would find that controversial because, like I said before, the LBGT LGBT thing. It's you know she's she's willing to help these people, you know, because she thinks they're God's children, which is great and grand. Mm -hmm. But then you have other denominations that look at her and go, no. Absolutely right, right. not. This is evil. This is wicked. Whatever. I think she's a. I think she's ahead of her time. So, yep. Well, um, once again, uh, to all our listeners, you know, thank you for subscribing to our show. Um, please uh, feel free to leave us messages on our uh, on our website, which is uh, Two Guys in a Mic uh, podcast. Um, also, if you can uh, email us at it's two guys and a mic at gmail.com. Right. And Facebook, the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash two guys and a mic podcast. And of course, we have a blog spot page. Uh, it's 2GAAM as two guys and a mic and dot blogspot.com. And like I said, we're doing it every Sunday at 3 o'clock. When we can, we'll let you know if we're not going to be doing it that Sunday because of scheduling conflicts. But we are starting again in September, in September, season two. We got a, a lot of other things in the works. We're looking at probably doing stuff on like prison reform, more religions of the world, maybe some more stuff with child uh, stars, Sue, child, child stars. We can try and get some child stars on here. Yep. I've already told him he, if he got a certain person on, I would buy him 
dinner at the Texas Roadhouse, so we'll see if he if well, he can do it. Well, guess what? Dinner is going to be happening because <laughs> I already got the phone number. You got the phone number, but you haven't talked to that person. Oh, yet. I am. I will be soon. <laughs> I will be soon. Well, if they're going to charge you thirty grand, it's coming out of your pocket. And just remember, uh, all our listeners, um, tell people about us. Uh, share us on Facebook. Um, we need more subscribers. Um, also, we'll probably do, uh, we'll change things up a bit for next season. We're going through uh, different uh, ideas on that. And also, if you have any ideas yourself on something you would like on this show, let us know. Let us know. All right. So for two guys and a mic, I'm Jason. And I'm Dan. Take care of yourself. See you in September. All right.